Welcome, everybody, to Going for Two, the podcast for the Extra Points newsletter. I am your intrepid host and publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown, and I'm joined today uh, by my co-host, as always, Brian Fisher. What's going on, Brian? Well, I'm doing fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, we, we always had this conversation before we start the podcast. And, and typically, you know, as, as do general conversations, it, it involves the weather. <laughs> and, and, and I've been having those conversations with a lot of people around the country right now. And I, I live in Los Angeles right now. And so it's difficult to say that it's, it's 65 and, and sunny every day, but uh, it, it is nice here. And I, I'm excited though, because I, I get to go back home a little bit in this episode. Uh, we're we're going to focus on Texas a little bit for the, for the listeners out there that, that don't know me or, or haven't been following me on Twitter or whatever. I was born in Carrollton, Texas, which is in, in Dallas, Fort Worth. I uh, went to high school in, in Allen, Texas, which a lot of people know not only from, from Kyler Murray, you know, it's the, the home of the, $65 million stadium and and uh, a huge uh, powerhouse. I, I can't wait. I, I'm excited to kind of dive deep into my home state and, and a place that uh, obviously holds a, a place uh, dear in my heart. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I was most excited about when you and I were even talking about launching a podcast was, was taking this as an opportunity to kind of dig a little bit deeper into some um, parts of the country that are really central to the college athletic story that have interesting microcultures that, uh, you know, shape the way that different institutions work that we, you can't really do justice in just one newsletter. And, you know, I've lived all over the country. I'm born, I was born in Ohio. I live in Chicago now, but I've lived in the South. I've lived out West. I've lived or spent extensive time almost everywhere in the Midwest. Texas is one of the places that I am least familiar with. You know, I've been to Houston a couple of times, but like, you know, we're talking about a week, right? And you can't really write about college football nationally without really knowing Texas, I think, at least on a superficial level and ideally on a much deeper one. And I don't have that. So I'm excited to, to bring in uh, a buddy of mine uh, and, and a guest here, um, uh, Shahan Jaraja uh, of Dave Campbell's Texas Football to come in here and talk to us a little bit about what makes Texas tick. Shahan, I'm, I'm so glad you're here with us. And I, I, I want to start with a couple of stupid questions, right? I've lived all over the country. And if you get, if you write about college football on a national level, I think you have to get to know different parts of the country a little bit. Um, even if you're a Southerner or a Midwesterner to, to fully understand the sport, but I don't understand Texas super well. That's one of the few places in this country I haven't really lived. Um, and I, I guess we can start with literally where you work because you work at a place called Dave Campbell's Texas football. And I am from Ohio. And we like to think that Ohioans care a lot about football, and they do. And they care a lot about high school football. And the idea of like a so-and-so's Ohio football magazine being in existence for decades, uh, I don't know if that would work. Uh, what is it maybe that, that makes Texas a place where your kind of publication can exist and has existed for as long as it has and evolved for as long as it has? And, and, and but, but other places that really care about football haven't been able to have something like that. What, what is it that's so special about Texas? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think one, uh, it's the connection to high school football. Obviously, there's in different areas, there's there's a lot of connection to high school football. But I, I really do think that Texas kind of treats it a little differently. Um, you know, we do have the Metroplex. We do have Houston where you have the pro sports teams. But you have just so much space outside of that. Right. And so I think that for a lot of people, uh, their connection to their hometown, to their connection to their high school football team is really something that drives them, I think, in a way that not a lot of, a lot of other places do. And the other thing, too, that I think you add to that is that 
you know, just the size, right? In, in the state of Texas, just being as big as it is, having so many different cities, having so many different towns. I mean, we have 12 state championship games for, for high school football in the state, right? It's just, we're talking 1,400 teams. And so it's one of those things that I think you mix the combination of, obviously people just in general taking it very seriously here, mixed with the breadth, you know, mixed with how many different teams we have, how many different schools we have, how many different levels we have. Uh, and I think it makes for something really unique. You know, I want to I want to talk about that a little bit because I, I remember last year my, my my kid sister's moving to Houston and she's moving from North Carolina. So I'm driving this big truck down and I'm going on I-10 and I cross over the state line and I see this sign that's like, all right, welcome to Texas, like Beaumont. 25 miles, El Paso, like 660, right? And that was like the first time I really conceptualized like, holy crap, this state is enormous. Because if you grow up as a Midwesterner, I think you internalize the idea of like one state over is three hours, or like, right? I, you can look at a map and think, oh, well, that's that's a day's drive. Well, a day's drive can very much still be Texas, right? And, and <laughs> and I, I, I realize this is, I was, I'm not Carmen San Diego here with this like incisive uh, geographic insight, but I'm wondering if maybe, maybe both of you could tell me a little bit about um, what makes different parts of this gigantic state different? Because if you have a state that is this large and has so many different kinds of people living in it, you're not going to have a monoculture. I, I assume a lot of things about El Paso, including things that relate to football, are going to be very different from Houston, which is very different from Wichita Falls, which is very different from a couple other places. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about Yes, we have Texas, and we understand that Texas is a thing. What are some of the kind of different subregions within Texas, and, and how are they different? Well, I think that I have to start out with the stat that everybody loves to drop about Texas, which is that if you're in El Paso, you're actually closer to California than you are to DFW. That's how big the state of Texas is. We're talking multiple states over, right? Uh, j just within that one state. And so I, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Bernie. It, it's this movie about uh, this murder that takes place in East Texas. And there's this great scene in it that, that kind of breaks down to a large extent, uh, kind of the different regions of Texas. And so um, go look up that, that thing. They, they can probably do a little bit more justice to it than I can. But, you know, the kind of different regions that I'd really point to is Obviously, there's the Metroplex, that's Dallas and Fort Worth, so all of that sort of deal. Then you have Houston, you know, that's kind of its own deal. And both those places are very, uh, you know, very metropolitan, right? Like Dallas even more. So Dallas is very much national culture. There, there's not even, I would even say to a large extent, there's not a whole lot special about Dallas. And I say that as somebody from here, um, you know, it's mostly just any other big city, right? Houston's interesting because... You get that, you have that aspect of it, uh, but then you kind of mix it up with the, with the geography of it. So you have this very strong Louisiana presence. You have this very strong Southern presence. You have this very strong, uh, you know, you even start to get into East Texas presence and, and I'll move on to East Texas from there. Um, you know, East Texas is very much the South to me. That That is the South. People are like, is Texas the South? East Texas is the South. The rest of Texas is not the South. That one part of it is. Uh, and then, I think that then you go to West Texas, right? And I think a lot of people conflate East and West Texas because the end results are kind of similar where you have these very, you know, kind of religion fueled, like right-wing people, right? But but they're very different in a lot of ways too. Because again, East Texas is very much the South. It's very much kind of the Bible belt. It's very religious. That, that's kind of what defines that area. Um, you, you know, it's more what you think about with the South, more like a Mississippi or an Alabama 
Once you get to West Texas, it's way more of like individualism. It's very much kind of like more like when you're talking about like Wyoming or, you know, a, a state like that, where you're talking about people who have ranches, you're talking about people who are used to not, you know, having a ton of neighbors and stuff like that. And so, you know, you very much get sort of that individual culture in, in the way that you kind of think about when you think of Texas, very much West Texas. And the other two areas that, you know, it's unfair to conflate them, but I'm going to conflate them the border in general, right? So you're talking the Rio Grande Valley and sort of South Texas as being part of that. And uh, and then also when you go all the way down to, to El Paso as well, you know, you're talking a lot of blending in between both uh, Texan culture and, and American culture, but also lots of Mexican influence. And so, you know, you go down to the actual valley itself, I mean, you're talking 50, 60% uh, Hispanic in a lot of areas. El Paso is great actually, because it's actually both El Paso and Juarez are part of the same statistical area. So like you're talking about that being one place space. People go back and forth across the border. Like it's absolutely nothing over there. Right. So those are kind of the biggest ones. I mean, again, we can get into sort of the micros within those, but, but at large, those are really the ones that I think people need to know. There's a little bit of changes going on between those regions too. I mean, you look at, at Houston in particular, you mentioned that Louisiana influence. Well, uh, a big influence of people from uh, the state of Louisiana after the hurricanes that, that hit that has really changed Houston, yeah. I think. Diverse city yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a lot of Vietnamese people that, that are there uh, that has affected the culture in, in that city with Dallas. I mean, just the amount of people that have moved into Dallas from other areas as a lot of these corporate headquarters have set up shop there has, has kind of changed, uh, I think, DFW a little bit. And uh, you, you failed to mention Austin, which I think their famous slogan, keep Austin weird. Well, it is very different from the, the kind of culture and, and just areas that you're going to get uh, elsewhere in the state. Um, you know, San Antonio, my, my parents live in, in the Hill Country now. Up in San Antonio, that is just a, a completely different kind of region uh, compared to DFW or elsewhere. And so, um, and, and what I like is, is they are changing. I mean, the demographics of the state are changing significantly. Uh, certainly in, in the last, not only the last, say, 10 years, but I think projecting it out uh, in the next 10 years, there's a, a huge sea change coming to the state of Texas that's going to affect things not only politically and, and, and culturally, but, uh, you know, kind of across the spectrum. And that's going to filter down in, into football as well. Yeah. And uh, something that I'll add with Central Texas, because I went to school in Waco. My grandparents live in Austin. My mom is from Austin. And so, like, I think that what's very interesting is that there's a big transition in the middle there, right? You kind of get a little bit, again, you get sort of that, I guess you could call it like a, a liberal oasis in Austin, right? And, uh, but you know, Waco is, is a city that's transitioning. It's in between the two of those places, between the East Texas, the West Texas, the Metroplex and, and also Austin, right? So you kind of get a whole sort of deal. And, um, and San Antonio, you know, I'd really consider that almost like the start of South Texas, you know, when you really start to hit that, that area of high Hispanic population. And again, I think that for a lot of people, right, they look at a state and they expect one thing. They expect it to be, you know, this is, this is, you know, Mississippi, it's the South. This is, you know, Ohio, it's the Midwest. Texas, you know, the reason that people have such a, a difficult time answering is Texas part of the South is because, again, part of it is, part of it isn't. Yeah. So just for some some clarification here from the, for your dumb Yankee friend, we are not classifying Houston as East Texas. East Texas is then a separate entity from Harris County. Yes, I would say um, if you're looking at a map, uh, so the, the road that connects Houston and Dallas is I-45. I would say that pretty much everything east of that would generally be considered East Texas to me. And so you're, you're much more uh, like 
I think that there are lots of East Texas influences in the city of Houston, but, you know, I, I think that one thing that you realize when you kind of get around a little bit is that, again, when you're talking about big cities, a lot of them have a lot in common, right? Like they have sort of that national influence and, and Houston's cool because it does have the influences, both of that national culture uh, and, and it's so big and, and same with DFW, it's so big and sprawling that you kind of get pockets of different things. Um, but yeah, I would not, Houston's definitely not part of East Texas, but, uh, but again, you kind of get that convergence there. Sure. It, it is, it is interesting that you mentioned this, this national culture. Um, I, this is something I've talked with a lot of other journalists and a lot of other people that follow football a lot is there aren't a whole lot of cities in this country that I feel like feel dramatically different from everywhere else. Like when you go to new Orleans, new Orleans does not look like Charlotte. It does not look like Chicago. The architecture is different. It was settled by different people. It's the 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 art is is different, and people talk differently. And it, it honestly, like when when I lived in New Orleans for a little while, it reminded me of Brazil. It reminded me of 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 other you know Caribbean and South American places more more so than like Atlanta. Houston felt that way a little bit for me too, in part just because it's so ding dong big um and like big geographically not just big uh you know population wise in a way that maybe perhaps some other places um haven't so uh, if i understand this correctly or i'm you know imagining a map here football is pretty important just about everywhere in texas maybe in some places you know more so or differently than other places in texas but if i was to be a uh, you know look at the places that are more likely to produce Division one football talent, not necessarily four star talent, but just, you know, like, you know, P5 level football players. The majority of them are coming from either the Houston area or the Metroplex, right? Or there's not going to see as many, even though, I mean, you have big cities in West Texas. San Antonio is a big city. El Paso is a big city, but those general areas don't produce as many high school football players that could play in college. Is that about accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that definitely. If you're, if you're looking to recruit, I think that the first place that you look are definitely Dallas and Houston. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree. You look at the the NFL numbers, just uh, the amount of pros, you know, every year that these Metroplexes, you know, produce. I mean, it, it's central, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth and, and Houston are, are two of the biggest uh, production centers, I guess you could say of NFL talent. And that's obviously coming from, from the uh, college ranks. And I, I think for every, every coach in, in, in America that has any, uh, you know, designs on recruiting the state of Texas, you can't just have one guy and assign them to Texas. You, you got to have DFW guys, you got to have Houston guys, you got to have, uh, you know, really San Antonio, central Texas type of guys, because, um, you know, you mentioned the the amount of high schools that you have to go to, and and it's so different inside of those cities too. The diversity inside of DFW and the diversity inside of Houston. Uh, you, you can go to kind of the woodlands. That that is way different from going down to Pearland or Pasadena in in Houston, and, and the same in in Dallas. I mean, if you're in the the Frisco system or McKinney, uh, and you're going out maybe even all the way out to Weatherford and in, in DFW, there's that's a huge difference uh, just in culturally with those high schools with those those people there and i think that's uh you know key to understanding the state and really its connection with high school football is uh these used to be uh, a lot of little towns they they've, a lot of these places have grown into big suburbs and and there's a diversity within them and i think that's what uh makes you know the, the current version of texas what we're seeing right now um so unique uh compared to other parts of the country there's more diversity in in dfw um going from one end to the, the place to the other than i think you'll see in, in entire states uh, in the rest of the country. 
Yeah, and something that I'll add to that, you know, the the most diverse zip code in the country is one over from me, right? 75038. That's the most diverse zip code in America. Houston bills itself as the most diverse city in America, right? So you are talking about those kinds of things. And I mean, look, uh, we, we can be real here, right? My name is Shahan J. Raj. I'm a college football writer from Dallas, Texas, right? Like that's that's the change that's happening too, right? And, <laughs> and I think, you know, to get a little bit to your recruiting point, um, one thing that I think is also interesting to point to is that there is a little bit of convergence of talent, right? Because look, there are 1400 plus high schools in, in the state of Texas alone. Right. And so you do see a little bit of coalescing just to try to get recruited. Right. Uh, I mean, not that I would ever accuse any high school co- coaches of doing anything that's not above board, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, you, you do start to see that, uh, that, you see kids, uh, even I'll even point to like uh, to East Texas, right? You'll see kids who went to smaller schools. And, and again, I'm not even saying that they were recruited. I'm just saying that they thought my best opportunity to get recruited is to go to a different school like this. You see that in the San Antonio area. You see that in Dallas and Houston, obviously. Uh, you even see that to some extent with some of the bigger schools out in West Texas. And so um, I, I think that for coaches who are recruiting, there is sort of this idea that if we go to these certain places if we go to some of these schools we're going to be able to find some of these kids because you know one either they're going to be at these schools you know a school like uh like north shore duncanville who were just in the state title game a couple of times ago a school like allen you know schools like that or if we don't find them there we'll at least be able to hear about the kids who we do need to know about that are from these areas as well and i think it's important to point out that the you know uil which governs the state of texas in, in high school football in the state uh does have uh probably a little stricter in terms of transfer policies compared to a lot of other states you know, in, in texas you know transferring is, is a big deal to kind of prevent that from, from schools kind of sucking up all the talent but um with these schools having success with these systems having success with these schools producing the amount of division one players um you know naturally if if a parent is is in the market to, to move somewhere or they're coming from out of state, you know, to move to DFW, why wouldn't you get a house in, in Allen or Capel or some of these other big kind of powerhouses? And I think that just kind of feeds into that, um, you know, top tier of success that these major programs um, really are kind of run like, you know, lower level FCS programs or, or FBS programs uh, in the state. They certainly have better facilities than, than a lot of them. And, and the coaching is among the best in the, in the country as well, because uh, a lot of these high schools, because they put such an emphasis on, on high school football, you know, they're, they're paying not only six-figure salaries for the head coaches, but, you know, paying, paying good money uh, for a lot of these assistant coaches as well. And that's kind of why it's not just uh, a way of life, but it is also a bit of a business for a lot of these high schools as well. Yeah. And I'll I'll point to one more thing before, before we move on, you know, I I talked to Sam Ellinger a couple of years ago for our cover story, right? I mean, he just pointed out that, um, that once his dad kind of realized that he could be good at sports, they moved to, to Westlake, right? They found a place in Westlake because they were like, this is where it can happen, right? Like we just saw Drew Brees come up through here. This is where it can happen. It, it's, it wasn't that, you know, Todd Dodger wasn't even there at the time, told them to come move here, right? It was that this is a good area where there's going to be a lot of good opportunity. Why would we not move there? That's a good point. And, and honestly, you know, you hear stories of people doing that around Atlanta, around certain places in Los Angeles, other, you know, where, where you have a, a dense concentration of not just football talent, but I guess football development infrastructure. You know, there's going to be a youth system that's aligned with what they're doing in high school. You know, that there's going to be coaches coming to, to assess and, and, and people covering it and the infrastructure that you need. Whereas if you're in Jackson, Wyoming, less so, right? You, you're going to, you're going to have to get a little bit, a little bit luckier. So you guys touched on something 
that is very fascinating to me. And it comes up whenever there's an opening, uh, even an FCS head coach gig in Texas, where you talk about the importance of not just recruiting Texas, but developing relationships with Texas coaches. And my impression is that as a group, Texas high school football coaches seem to have more political and cultural sway than they do almost anywhere else in the country, even places that – develop a lot of a lot of football talent like they in georgia if you're a a public high school football coach you can definitely make six figures um if you are in florida or in ohio or in western pennsylvania or detroit they definitely care about football um you may not necessarily make the same amount of money but ohio state or michigan state or northwestern or big 10 schools are not sitting there thinking like man we got to make sure that we got somebody who speaks illinois high school football coaches language right or we got to make sure that we go hire some guy from cincinnati st xavier to lock that down whereas it seems like if you alienate or don't build those relationships and you're trying to be a texas school you're screwed like i i i am struggling to think of a texas college coach, whether that's at Texas, Texas, or Texas State, that has been able to be successful by not kind of kissing the ring. Does that political power come just from the fact that there's more, there's a a different level of cultural cachet that these coaches have? Is it a product of money? Is it a product of something that the Texas High School Athletic Association does? Like, what makes it unique here versus Alabama or Georgia or any of these other places where people still definitely care? I think that there are a couple of factors. So one, I will point to the Texas High School Coaches Association. It is a very powerful organization. They really try to move in lockstep. Um, you know, burning some of them can really burn you down the line when you're trying to recruit some of their kids. Uh, and actually, I mean, I, I wrote a story a couple of years back on Matt Rule because Matt Rule came in, you know, this yeah. this damn Yankee from from Pennsylvania, right? And and immediately kiss the ring basically right he hired three high school football coaches on his staff including the president of the texas high school coaches association who was a baylor graduate too which also helped um you, you know and immediately it's it's not that they all of a sudden came and were able to recruit at this crazy level or anything like that that wasn't really the point but they were able to find some of these kids they were able to hear from coaches hey you know this is really a kid you should be looking at so they were able to kind of find some kids under the radar and evaluate really early i think too so, so that plays a part in it um i think that there is in texas uh because of the power of high school football and the popularity of it there is a bit of a deference i think towards high school football uh you know whereas Look, if you're in Georgia, right, and, and you're a good player who's in Georgia, the focus is to get him to Georgia, right? It's not to get him to winning, you know, it's not that Deshaun Watson wants to win a Gainesville high school title, right? It's that they want him to end up playing quarterback in Georgia, right? And that exists in Texas, but I think that it's, I think that one, there is a focus on sort of the local because you have a lot of families who have been in a place for a long time, which I think drives a lot of football interest. Um, And also because, uh, because I think that there's also such uh, split loyalties in Texas as well. You know, we're not all trying to work in lockstep to to build up the university of Texas, right? We've got Texas, we've got A&M, we got Baylor, we got Texas Tech, we got TCU, we got SMU, you got on and on down the list. Right. So I think that that split loyalty does play a part. And also look, there's like I've mentioned a lot of times, there's more than 1400 high schools in Texas. You're going to miss kids. And the best way to not miss kids is to hear from the high school coaches who you need to be keeping an eye on. And so I, I think that all those things kind of work in lockstep and also yes, money also, yes, influence also, yes, political power uh, on top of all of that. But I, I think it really does start with some of those factors. Yeah, And I, I would just add, you know, I think, you know, power is, is a big, big 
key in this. Uh, you, you look at the, the fact that you know, a lot of these school boards, you know, they, they're the ones improving, you know, who the football coaches is. And, and that guy, uh, whoever it might be at most levels in, in, in the state, that football coach is just a football coach, you know, and in other places in, in the country, they're, they're teachers and all that. And yes, that's, that's true with some assistants here and there, but you know, even some offensive de- defensive coordinators now, they're, they're football coaches full time in, in the state of Texas. And, and that's you know, frankly different in, in a lot of places. And, and really the day to day influence around, you know, year round, I, I think is a lot different in other places than it is in Texas. I mean, um, you know, you're talking about having influence, not just over your high school program, but probably your feeder programs are, are you know, in middle school, they're going to run the same offense you do. Um, you know, you're going to have control over the, the, the weightlifting schedule and, and everything that kind of goes into the off season programs, you know, that that's all scripted out by those head football coaches. Um, you know, and it is really a, a well-oiled machine at, at a lot of these, especially powerhouse, you know, programs, but I just think the, the influence that they have, um, you know, there are a lot of booster organizations, frankly, that are involved in, in a lot of these big schools and even small schools that, you know, frankly, are not present in, in a state like Florida. Um, there are a lot of outside influences, um, you know, in, in other states, uh, you know, especially on the seven on seven circuit versus, you know, in seven on seven in, in the state of Texas, instead of having more of these kind of third party teams where they're more all star teams. You do have a lot more of the, the high schools, you know, focused, you know, where it, it's it's the high school team doing seven on seven versus just kind of Tampa all-star group. Um, and, and that's, I, I think, one of the bigger differences as well. Yeah. And, and I'd add on to that as well. You, you know, I think that whenever a job gets posted at the high school level, you don't just get the job posted. You get the athletic director title too, in a lot of cases too, right? So you are not just controlling football, you're controlling all of the money that goes into the program uh, in every sport, right? So you can apportion your way. And there's really a big focus too for for Texas high school coaches. I'm trying to get into school districts where you're one high school, right? Because then that means that you get to control every part of it, like like, like Brian was saying. And I think that's obviously that exists in some places. I'm sure some of the better Georgia and Florida and California high school teams have that but we're talking like schools that go four and six <laughs> you know people are, are doing that too this is uh yeah this is not how most of the rest of the country works um that that it, that makes sense one of the other things that is unique to me about this state looking at, at a different group of, of political power players is there's a lot of different university systems in Texas, right? You know, you look at Wisconsin, there's the University of Wisconsin system. The public schools are part of that. And if I remember correctly, there's six different systems in Texas and you have independent public schools. Um, and so you might have like, what, four different University of Houston's and there's a, a 10 or whatever University of Texas's. And I, I, this kind of came up as I was reporting out the WAC story realizing that not only do you have pressures from boosters and pressures from from coaches and from fans but you have regents and and members of like the Texas State University system versus the independent university system versus some of these lower AM systems and they might not like each other and they're very turf dependent and there's was as I understood it a, a culture of uh, wanting to make sure that somebody else from that system wasn't kind of getting the drop on you is this something that you two have noticed um, either that's unique to Texas, especially when you get down below the flagship institutions. Um, and, and if so, how does that shape some of these these budget or athletic stories that, that are happening right now? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think you really do start to see it more at the lower levels. Um, you know, I, I don't think that 
you know, Texas Tech is not impacted by needing to drag along necessarily the rest of the system. But really, when you get down below that, uh, and I think that COVID has actually presented an interesting challenge with that, right? Because, for example, Tex uh, the Texas Tech system just added its third football school with Midwestern State because Midwestern State was just kind of floundering. They were an independent institution, um, and now they're going to join the Texas Tech system because they kind of need that stability. And so um, I, I think it's an interesting question. So the one that I'll point to right now is the A&M system, because the A&M system is actually one of the bigger football institutions uh, in, in the state of Texas. And so, you know, you have Texas A&M, you have Prairie View A&M. The, the other school that's now moving up that obviously is, is big news is Tarleton. Tarleton State is moving up to Division One, And with them moving up, and that's been something that they've been planning for a little while now, they have the backing to be able to do that. They're not going to sort of screw their entire school's finances by trying to do that, obviously. And it does sort of become interesting to, to whether, you know, now Tarleton's moving up. Is AM Commerce going to consider moving up? Is West Texas AM going to consider moving up? We're also part of this system. Uh, I do think that there is going to be, whenever there is this realignment, uh, I, I think there's going to be a focus on trying to keep some of these schools together so that they can move in lockstep, so they all can move up together. Um, but, you know, it's again, this is really where you kind of see it the most is at the FCS, the Division II, Division III level. And and there's a higher ed focus that is part of this this football aspect as well. You, you look at uh, there's you know it's been pretty publicized the top ten percent rule in the state of Texas where you know if you finish in the top ten percent of your high school class you're essentially guaranteed admission to a lot of these high school uh, university systems and that creates some competition you know for for a lot of them as well and so um, I, I think there is that aspect of almost competing for students and you know, with that the marketing aspect of having a football team uh, that plays into it uh, you know I, I think. There's uh, just, you know, the higher ed aspect of the, these are university systems that, uh, you know, have hospitals and, and have uh, large, you know, secondary schools. You know, you mentioned Texas A&M. They have a large veterinary program. There's competition between that veterinary program and, uh, you know, Texas Tech's and, and Baylor's and, and all around the state. So, uh, you know, the, the competition between these university systems is not just limited to that football field. And so it extends in all areas of aspects and that brings in a lot of people and that kind of conflict and that kind of competition, uh, you know, produces different results than I think you are going to see in, in a state where it is not only just one university system, but even with two, uh, you don't get that kind of competition that you do in Texas. Right. Right. And I do think that um, I, I do think that, Matt, you wrote a, a great piece for the newsletter about why are you expanding? Why are you moving up? Why are you, you know, why are you starting a program, right? There are so many different factors that, that schools kind of go into. And I do think that we're seeing some of those dynamics obviously play out with a Tarleton moving up, right? Because you are saying, you know, we want to be taken seriously. We don't want to kind of be this commuter school, whatever. We want to kind of be taken seriously as a program and as a university. And so, um, Again, there, there's all this jostling back and forth. And obviously, the, the backdrop of all of it is the future of higher education, right? And uh, and that's something that I think that we're all looking at. I, I mean, one thing that sort of blew me away whenever I was doing some research uh, last year when things were kind of in, in the worst of everything was, you, you know, I went to Baylor. I know, Matt, you went to Ohio State. And we're talking billions and billions of dollars of endowment, right? When you go down to those bottom levels, I mean, Midwestern State, you're talking tens of millions, right? You're talking a couple million dollars. And, uh, and I think that, that that dynamic is going to be something that's really going to hang over everything, uh, not just the, the, the future of small college football. This this is a major point that I've tried to write a lot about uh, on extra points. What, what is interesting? One of the things that's unique to me about this whole Texas state system, right? You look at a lot of these schools that are part of it; the, they're not small. 
right? Like, you know, Wisconsin Whitewater or, or you know, some of the, it's the smaller Ohio states or something, they might just be uh, you know, a couple thousand. And then you would look at, you know, West Texas A&M's almost 8,000 students, right? Like if Tarleton State's going to hit 10. And that's, I think, people on campus, like not just, you know, online, online students. The Texas state schools, I think, are almost all within five figures in enrollment. And because this is a state that's growing. And like we kind of alluded to earlier, a lot of new people are moving to Texas and they're not just moving to Dallas. They're moving, you know, not universally all over the state, but they are moving to a lot of these cities and they're going to look for places that have affordable tuition. So not only do you have a lot of these smaller schools jostling, trying to compete for students, but there's actually students to try and get which is a little bit of a different dynamic than maybe some of the smaller schools in the Midwest or the Northeast where they're facing that same pressure, but there's no kids because their population's down 15% because they're moving to Texas. You know, I'm looking out my window. They don't want to deal with three feet of snow anymore. So well, this is the, 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 the <laughs> right. Like the, the decline, what is SIU Edwardsville's loss could become Midwestern States gain, um, you know, long-term. And maybe that's good news for the WAC. Maybe that's good news for the Lone Star Conference. Maybe that's good news for, uh, you know, maybe not the Southland, but you know, for some of these others, other leagues that uh, 20 years ago would have never been on anybody's uh, mind at all because they were they were all so small. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, the one thing that I will say is that it's less that there's maybe like a high-profile individual, but out in West Texas and out in the Panhandle, I mean they're kind of seeing what's happening, right? They're seeing that, you know, you, you talk about the population change. One of the changes that I think is going to really play a big role. And, and I mean, look, not to, not to get too far in another direction, but, you know, I think kind of led to, uh, you know, there's a reason that I think that Donald Trump, that was an area that he really resonated in. It was West Texas and that panhandle region. And part of the reason is a lot of people who are from that area have kids who then go to other schools and then stay outside of West Texas, right? And so you're kind of seeing West Texas a little bit get left behind. Um, and it's kind of interesting, actually, that Tarleton is moving up right now because it's kind of a bad time for Texas Tech because, you know, TCU becomes a Power 5 team. I think that they've really pulled from them uh, a whole lot being a school in Fort Worth that's pretty accessible to West Texas. Uh, you know, Tarleton's there now, too. Abilene Christian's become a Division One institution. Uh, and, and I think that you are seeing, um, you know, the, the one that I would sort of point to is West Texas A&M at the Division Two level. They really are kind of fighting for attention. They really want to be taken seriously. Um, and and again, it's, it's not as much one person or, or one issue that I think that that's showing up in, but I think that you're going to see a lot of these smaller, uh, these smaller West Texas schools, Angelo State and West Texas A&M uh, being among them, and obviously Charlton as well. I, I think you're really going to see them try to make decisions that make them important, right? That make them the leader on this. I don't think it's a coincidence that we saw Charlton move to the WAC and then want to bring everybody else with them, right? So uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how these decision makers in West Texas, both lawmakers and local politicians, and then also the presidents of the university and athletic directors, how they kind of handle that heading forward. So beyond then the, the high school coaches and beyond the regents and beyond the myriad fans who are all very invested in this. One of the other, I think, interesting things about the history of, of Texas college football is that um, often lawmakers are often uh, maybe more involved than you might expect them to be uh, in the fortunes of various college football programs, right? Like the, the, the whole, the, the eye-popping thing about the SMU scandal to me wasn't so much that players were being paid because 
no duh that's been happening since like yale it's that a governor of the state was like heavily involved clearly as a baylor fan i'm sure you know you you know the the story and how much of that is exactly true you, you know you don't know say but uh, of the governor you know and richard's literally saying like you got to put baylor in this conference um do you know of anybody else that a casual college football fan should know in the Texas political sphere as somebody who is uh, maybe willing to put their thumb on the scale for any Texas programs, be that big? Or I mean, honestly, it's even funnier to me if it's small. If there's like some like Lamar bagman somewhere who's like the Speaker of the House that's like trying to, to nudge them one way or another. Do, do, you, do you get the sense any of that's happening now? You know, I, I would say that it's less probably right at this very second. I, the times that you really see it happen most are during realignment, right? And so, you know, one that I'd point to that's, that's not current is that, you know, it's less that, well, Rick Perry is a Texas A&M graduate, and it's less that he was, per se, putting a finger on the scale or anything like that. But, you know, they, they definitely did prioritize trying to get people on that board of regents who were going to want to invest in football, who were going to, you know, want to spend all this money to move to the SEC and get all this money and spend it to haphazardly, right? Um, you know, I, I think that that would be one of the more recent ones. Again, I, I think that right this very second, you don't get as much one because the governor's a UT Longhorn. That's not really a, a huge priority right now. Um, and again, I think though that that when we start to see realignment, maybe it's going to be really interesting to see whether some of those figures come sure. back. Sure. I mean, I'm just imagining this. You know, I, I think both of us would agree that more realignment is probably likely at the Division II and FCS and maybe even the G5 level involving Texas schools. I'm not imagining Texas or A&M is going anywhere in the near future. Could UTEP? Could Commerce could have been Western State, sure. Like that, that that seems theoretically possible. I didn't know if they had any, uh, you know, big time boosters in in Austin that maybe I didn't know about. And, and I think it's going to be fascinating too when you mention those West Texas schools. I mean, you look at energy policy being such a central focus in, in the state of Texas in general, and how that is changing nationally, how that is changing regionally over the next. 15, 20 years. I mean, obviously, the, the country, the world is moving away from an oil dependence, and that's going to change those West Texas towns significantly. You know, you're talking about not only people being out of work, but uh, being forced to move elsewhere, those companies going elsewhere. Um, you, you can kind of see that on the horizon and, and how that's going to change West Texas, not just the, the Midlands and, and Odessa's of the world, but those truly small towns uh, that do depend on uh, that oil producing economy. It, it's going to be fascinating to see. Now, I, I don't, uh, you know, don't see, foresee, you know, massive changes to where it, it's, it's going to happen overnight. But you can certainly see in the next 20 to 30 years, um, the, the shape and, and the amount of people that are in West Texas is going to change significantly. And, and it's going to be fascinating to see how those universities navigate that because you know, there is an opportunity at the same time for uh, if you're a kid in DFW and you still want to play uh, at college football, you know, a lot of those schools out there are attractive options to you, for you to go play and that, you know, I'm going to go get a master's at Texas or, or A&M if I still want to go to those schools. Um, but, you know, you still have those opportunities. And so it, it's going to be a fascinating shakeup to see how all those, you know, kind of universities navigate these next really critical uh, uh, next couple of decades. Yeah. And one thing that I'll point to as well is that I do think that, you know, we're talking, like you said, 20, 30 years, we're not talking tomorrow, but eventually we're going to reach a point where oil and energy is not the most important factor in Texas. It's going to be tech. 
you know, we're really starting to see in Dallas and Austin, especially a lot of tech companies are moving there. There's a reason that we hear all this about Californians coming and moving to Texas. It's because those jobs are starting to come here because of, you know, the lack of taxes, because of the cheap land, because of the infrastructure. Uh, you know, we're starting to see that Dallas and Austin are starting to kind of become, you know, I don't want to call it the, the new, you know, Silicon Valley by any means or anything like that, but you are starting to see a lot of those jobs move. And eventually, they're going to be the most powerful, uh, you know, factions in the state. We're not going to hear about the old Texas oil men quite as much anymore. And the one thing that's going to be interesting too is, do those people care about college football? Do they become factors in this universe? I, I'm going to be kind of curious to watch. Well, I mean, look, just look at that, the amount of influence that uh, Elon Musk has had with with the Tesla factor going to the Austin area. I mean, and just how politically uh, a lot of those leaders got involved in that, even, even some of the schools, um, you know, that, that's going to change, you know, kind of the outlook in, in that area. And, and you could see that uh, happening uh, multiple times over. Uh, certainly the changeover with, with Toyota, you know, and, and other car companies uh, going to more electric vehicles, you know, how much that really changes the fabric of the state economy. Toyota, a big anchor uh, tenant in terms of their corporate uh, head, headquarter presence. In, in DFW, as you would know. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating to see how kind of that changeover and, and really diversification, uh, which the state has has kind of made a point to. Uh, they understand that uh, that oil tap is going to run out in in 50 years or whatever, whenever it's going to happen. And, um, you know, you, you do have to kind of diversify. And I think the last, certainly the last 20 years that there's been a point, but I think even over the next 10, 15 years, uh, that is going to be ramped up even more. And we started to see that a little bit with what played out in Austin with the Tesla factory. Yeah. And, and I do think that's, I think it was McLennan Community College, which is the, the college that Waco is, um, McLennan County. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they created a like a Tesla engineering program before they even announced the move to Austin because they were like, we got to be first. We got to be out ahead of this. We got to let people know that this is happening. So, yeah, I mean, this is not an issue that's just going to be felt in Austin and in Dallas. This is going to be an issue that is going to dramatically impact the landscape of the state. You know, a, a couple of things about all this. I, I remember, there's an old college football like message board meme, right? That you can kind of track Texas A&M's like how well the football team's going based on the price of crude. And there's still a little bit of truth in that. But I, I remember when like oil was like trading in like negative money <laughs> or last year. I made some phone calls and folks at A&M were like, you know, that that's it's not really that true anymore because we have so many uh, graduates now working in engineering and in finance that are completely outside of the petroleum industry. The school that's really screwed with this is Tulsa. It's not, it's, it's, it's less so the, any of the schools in Texas in part because Tulsa is so much smaller. It's, I think it's the smallest school in division one. And there you have a disproportionate percentage of people working in that industry. But this idea here of how changing industries and changing populations, it, you know, can, can alter the fortune of a university is a fascinating one. And it, it, it's different in every area. So like, I think back not too far from where I grew up in Ohio is, is Akron. And, you know, you go back in like the, the 1950s and 1960s, Northeast Ohio and Western Pennsylvania, that was like DFW and Miami-Dade, like in terms of being able to, to pick up talent. And now, um, because we've had so much population decline from, the, from people going to Texas, the decline of American manufacturing, particularly in automotive and steel production and some of these other places, um, they're not producing nearly the same kind of prep talent, obviously, but the universities themselves are in, are legitimately in peril. Like Akron is like a third the size of a school that it used to be. Um, 
And on, on, one, on, you, on one hand, you could probably draw a straight line and then think like, well, that's part of the reason that school's not very good. And some of these schools in Texas are going to have some more money. But you're right. It's not a guarantee that the people coming in are necessarily going to immediately buy into the, the earlier Texan culture of caring about football the same kind of way. If Texas as a state is recruiting a bunch of Silicon Valley types to come in here, well, I've seen Silicon Valley football and this year's San Jose state team, notwithstanding, mostly it sucks. And like, I understand that this is different because we're talking to the son of a Brazilian immigrants talking about college football to the son of South Asian immigrants who grew up in football, mad, crazy places. Um, but you know, we, we look in sports media, not a whole lot of people look and sound and had, and, and look like us or had our, had our backgrounds because you know, not all of our cousins care about, about football the same way. And if that's what a city's looking like, or if that's what a university is looking like, that changes um, potentially the direction of your athletic department, at least a little bit. Maybe everyone assimilates and become diehard Sam Houston State fans. Maybe they don't. Uh, or, or and, and maybe population changes a little bit too. Like th- th- this, this shift is particularly in Texas is so fascinating to me because I could, I could theoretically understand how a politician like Trump in the panhandle then could be very successful talking about, Hey, listen, it's not just that Austin's become this, this big old den of like barefoot communist weirdos outside of Westlake. They don't even care about football the same way anymore. Like that right there would be what I, I would imagine would be a very politically potent message. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No question. And I think that's, you know, something that I'd also point to as well is that, yes, we are growing, but you mentioned the, the demographics not necessarily being on our side when we come through. And, I, and I'm from Coppell, right, which is a, a town that historically has invested a lot in football. I mean, a lot of the immigrants, people uh, moving there look like me, aren't necessarily interested in football, right? And so um, the other thing that I'll mention as well is that we have so many more college football programs in the state than there have been in previous years. So you have schools like Incarnate Word moving up to Division One. You have Tarleton moving up to Division One. Uh, you have Houston Baptist moving up to Division One and uh, Abilene Christian moving up to Division One. And the thing is, right, it, there's not there's not like some straight line that says, okay, well, Texas Tech is recruiting against Houston Baptist and that's going to hurt it. That's not the point. The point is that all of a sudden, some of those kids who maybe you got at the end of those classes are going somewhere different. And some of those kids are going somewhere different at another school, right? And, and then you add in, obviously, the dynamic of Ohio State, thanks a lot, coming in and taking a ton of our good players. You're welcome. Uh, you, you, <laughs> you, you get the dynamic of Alabama coming in with, with obviously, the introduction of the SEC. Uh, I think with Texas A&M has been a huge factor. And, and all of a sudden, yes, there is unlimited talent in Texas. I, I really do believe that. But all of a sudden, the level of that talent and uh, the spread of that talent, I think, starts to go away where, you know, I, I think 15, 20 years ago, you're talking, okay, you can have maybe two elite teams from the from the state of Texas. And, and I'd almost maybe count Oklahoma as being sort of like that because of how they recruit Texas, obviously. You can have maybe two or three elite teams from that, maybe two or three really good teams. Um, and all of a sudden now, right, like Oklahoma's rolling right now, Texas A&M's rolling right now. Texas, I, I'm, you know, if they decide to be good, they're going to be fine. And, and I think all three of those can exist at the same time. But all of a sudden, it's like, what does Baylor do? What does TCU do? What does Texas Tech do? It, it's becoming to, to a level where, yes, there is talent for them. They can recruit Texas. They can be successful doing that. But the competition for Division One caliber talent is going to be impacted by Texas State being there, UTSA having a program now. I, I think that it's just one of those things that, 
it gets more spread out than it ever has before. I don't think it's an accident that one of the schools that everyone's talking about that didn't sign any high school players was Texas State. And like on paper, you would think like, this is this boggles the mind. You are in Texas. You are not in Lawrence, Kansas, where there's one football player who's good enough. You should be in a place where you can get kids. And maybe you can, but yet speaking to this dynamic, it it's not 1997 anymore. And maybe the all of these changes and and between you and between us friends, like I would expect by the end of this decade, at least another two division two schools to jump up to division one from the state of Texas, if not four, it's going to become more competitive. And so maybe some of these places have basically historically just said, we're only going to recruit within a 200 mile radius. You're going to have to get a little bit more creative. So I guess good news if you live in Lake Charles, <laughs> right. Or, or good news if you're in broken arrow or something, but like, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not going to be the same way that it used to be. Yeah. And I think that, you know, especially look at Texas state, I think that there is a little bit of a, of a zero sum game between them and UTSA. You know, they are only about an hour apart from each other. Uh, and if one of them is rolling, which obviously UTSA had the number one recruiting class in conference USA, it's going to make things a whole lot harder for Texas state. And I think that there's a lot of these battles. Again, I mentioned like Abilene versus, uh, versus Tarleton, which is in Stephenville. And then you add Texas tech into that, like, the, especially in those areas, I think is when, where it's going to be the most felt. I think, East Texas, like, I'm not worried about Sam Houston being able to get talent. I'm not worried about Stephen F. Austin being able to get talent. But I think especially in that West Texas area, you're going to see a lot of conflict, I think, as a lot of these schools try to fight for that that area. Yeah, and it's fascinating, too, when you look at kind of the, the cross-border aspect of this as, as well. You know, if you're Sam Houston State, you can go into Louisiana. Maybe that if they move up another level, maybe that's hurting uh, Louisiana Monroe, uh, Louisiana Lafayette at some point, you know, down the road with maybe not just, you know, maybe it's one or two guys, but uh, maybe that that, that has an effect on them. And then you go out to West Texas, um, you know, I think for a, for a long time, if you were a, one of the better players or, you know, kind of the upper tier cross, even not, maybe not even a, a you know, power five level uh, player in New Mexico, you know, you might come into Texas, you might go to UTEP, you might go to some of those other places, um, you know, ha- how that kind of exchange is going to be affected. And, you know, Matt, you mentioned Oklahoma, uh, you know, really, uh, there is kind of a, almost a symbiotic relationship a little bit with the state of Oklahoma and the state of Texas in terms of that kind of talent transfer, you know, back and forth, not just that, oh, you and, and OSU, but, you know, Tulsa, the other schools there and, and vice versa, um, you can kind of see those those Angelo states or those Tarletons uh, kind of go back up and, and, you know, players that maybe have, have slipped through the cracks a little bit, uh, you know, they, they wind up going back south of the border. So I think it's it's going to be interesting to see just kind of the dynamics of, of uh, you know, kind of the changes in levels uh, that we see in football uh, nowadays really affecting not just the state of Texas, but the states around Texas as well. Right. And I, I think that's two others that I'll point to is, is New Mexico. I think think that both of those schools, New Mexico and New Mexico State, have really struggled the last couple of years. And I think that that's a, a direct dynamic of that. And the other school that I'll mention is Arkansas. Arkansas used to really make hay in the state of Texas. And now that the entire SEC can go to it, you're talking about a team that really hasn't been competitive. You know, when I was trying to do, when, when I when I moved my sister to Houston, when I was first acclimating myself to, to this area, um, a couple of her colleagues described Houston and the state as a whole as America plus, right? Whatever you think of as America, you go to Texas and it's like that times three, both the good stuff and the bad stuff. And I feel like if nothing else, this long conversation, which we could probably pretty easily have gone another hour uh, if it wasn't for the fact that I think my children upstairs right now are planning like, uh, it sounds like they're building a tank. Um, 
the Texas is like college football plus. <laughs> when you look at a lot of these changes in higher education about regional institutions competing for students, about institutions trying to decide uh, to what level they're going to invest in athletics and what that ROI looks like and who's pressuring them to do that. Um, you go to Texas and you see all that twice as much. And that can be, it's, it's exciting. It's interesting. It is perhaps the most important state with two of the most important metropolitan areas. If you're a fan of any college football program that has designs on being good at football, you're probably going to have to go through here. And whatever big picture concern or change that we have with this sport, it's going to run through and it's going to be magnified as it comes through Texas. Um, thank you so much for, for, for taking some time here to, to chat with us. For uh, our readers who are less familiar with you and your work, where can they find you on the internet? Well, you can find all of my work at TexasFootball.com. You can find me on Twitter at Shahan J. Raja. Uh, for people, again, who, who don't know about our publication, we do one giant preview magazine, sort of a Phil Steele style uh, preview magazine for Texas football. And we're not just talking college football. We do all 12 FBS institutions, yes. We do every FCS, Division II, Division Three, JUCO, uh, NAIA, everything. But then we also preview every single high school football pro program in the States. We're talking over 1,400 high school football programs that we write capsules about. Uh, it's a huge undertaking. We actually, uh, the, the magazine for us doesn't come out uh, until about July. We just had our first planning meeting for it last week. So that's, uh, that's the sort of work that goes into it. But um, I, I think it's really cool. You know, for me, uh, just to kind of close it out, you know, for me, I did not grow up a high school football guy. I didn't even really grow up a football guy. I was more of a basketball guy. Um, but, you know, the thing that I've loved about working at Dave Campbell's um, is you really get sort of a feel for, you know, what we've talked about, the cultures of a place, the dynamics of a place. And I think that, you know, for, for us doing high school and college coverage across the state of Texas, I, I think you get a really interesting feel about, like Matt said, about sort of culture and society at large. And so again, you can find all of our work at textfootball.com. And, and if you, uh, if you're interested, become a subscriber at textfootball.com slash subscribe. Awesome. We, we, we will, uh, I will be happy to direct my readers to do that. If you want, if you want to under, I mean, yeah, if you want to understand what's going on here on a, a granular level and the most important battleground in, in college athletics, I, I can't think of many places that are going to get you more informed, uh, than, than Dave Campbell. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been, it's, it's been a pleasure, man. It's great talking with you. Yeah, love the newsletter. Uh, thanks so much for having me. You bet. Uh, this podcast is a product of the Extra Points newsletter. If you enjoyed this entire conversation, if you enjoyed kind of getting under the hood and learning a little bit more about what makes college athletics tick, you're going to really like Extra Points, which publishes four days a week, uh, digging into all those off the field forces, everything from name, image, and likeness to what um, higher education enrollment patterns to how universities make money and how they spend that money and how they evaluate whether that, whether that money was spent well. All of those things that shape what you experience on Saturdays and throughout March Madness, Extra Points has you covered. And if you aren't already a paid subscriber, if you're already on, if you're only on the free list, if you're only getting part of the extra points experience, now is a great time to uh, to move up to the paid experience because for this week up until Saturday, February twentieth you can get 30% off your Extra Points subscription just by going to www.extrapointsmb.com. There's a promo code right there on that website. That means you can get an annual subscription for just $49. That helps you support this podcast. It helps you support this newsletter. 
and helps you stay informed at a reasonable rate. So just head on down to www.extrapointsmb.com to pick up your 30% off discount code good for the rest of this week. Um, you can also sponsor this this uh, this podcast or sponsor individual newsletters. If you're interested, drop us a note at sales at extrapointsmb.com. Brian, that was awesome. I, I I know this podcast already ran a little bit long, and I feel like we, I could have gone for another hour if if my children and <laughs> everything else here around me would would have let me. I feel like I learned a lot. It's given me a lot of questions about you know other things to to dig into for potential newsletters. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely could have gone an extra hour on the, on the state of Texas and, and all that is involved with that. And and look, you know, as as we Texans are fond of saying, everything is is bigger in Texas, and that extends to everything in in the state. It's the football programs, the college programs. Uh, we didn't even. And, you know, kind of touch on on the professional aspects. I, I mean, I think it's fascinating to look at the state of Texas over the next couple of years when it comes to producing soccer players. I mean, I, I was just look, watching a European soccer game uh, before we started recording this, and and the amount of players that uh, are going over to Europe from just the the FC Dallas Academy in, in the DFW area and, and having impacts on the the world stage uh, for for soccer is, is fascinating, and how much that take, is going to take away from you know college football or you know those players that uh, were were high school football stars. It's going to be fascinating to see kind of play out over the next 15, 20 years in the state of Texas. And really one, I think anybody in the country who has any kind of connection to college athletics, almost you have to kind of have a pulse on what's going on in the state because not only is it so big and, and so powerful in terms of the impact that it has, but um, it, it can also be a little bit of, of a bell cow in terms of where things are going as well. Yeah. If anything, after this entire conversation, it makes me think that professional football would probably play pretty well in Texas. They should look at starting a team. Um, I don't, I, as from looking at my timeline over the past year, I'm not really sure that they have one right now, but it would probably do pretty well. Certainly um, not in the state of, uh, in, in the city of Houston. Yeah. You know, I, I don't no. think uh, anybody wants to talk about that professional football team at all. Um, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? Of course, everybody can follow me on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And, and I, I would be remiss, Matt, if, if I didn't, you know, make the call again for the shameless promotion of, of this podcast. If you can rate, review, uh, certainly subscribe and and give us a, a great five star review. You know, I you know we I think this is a five star review product. So if, if you can just review it as such, uh, that would certainly help us out and help other people find episodes like this. Help us uh, support uh, along the way as we can do more and hopefully expand into to other areas where we can you know hit hit Atlanta in, in the state of Georgia, go down into Florida, uh, do other episodes like this and and, and other topics that are relevant not only to uh, your school, but college athletics as a whole. I can't emphasize enough how helpful it is to get those five-star reviews. I really appreciate all the ones that we had here over the last week. That makes it easier for this podcast to reach different audiences. That means it makes it easier for this podcast to help promote the newsletter, which helps financially support this entire endeavor. We want that to look like an Alabama recruiting class. We want nothing but five-stars there's, I saw this one three-star on there. That's fine. Recruiting classes need a kicker too. That's cool. But we want mostly fives. Um, you can find me, of course, on Twitter at Matt Brown EP, And you can find the Extra Points newsletter at extrapointsmb.com. Brian, it's been a pleasure. We'll catch up with you next week. <laughs>